0: Radhe ki jai is today and do it charya chhi couple par ki jai giant anticur chana radhe ki jai namacharya chhi hari das Thakur jai great go shri krishna chaitanya providence and under she do it to get out haribhas and go but radhe ki jai see shri krishna go gopi na shyamakunda radha pandi gudiya dan ki jai radhe radan dan ki jai matura das maya pranam ki jai jagannath puri dam kijai. Gangamaya, Jaruna Devi ki Samabeta, jai, Bhakti Devi ki jai, Tulsimahaya Kijai, Samabheta Samaveta Bhaktarunda ki jai, glories, to the, glories to the Assembled Devotees, All glories to the Assembled dé, Devotees, All glories dé, to the Assembled Devotees, All glories to Shri Yuru and Gauranga, All glories dé, to Shri Prabhupada, Nama, Om, Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prashtaya Bhutalei, Shri Mati Bhakti, Venanta Swami, Niti namane Namaste, Sarasvati, Deve, Gauravani, Pacharane, Nivase, Sisunivani, Paskatyade, Sattarane. Vandeham, Sri Guru, Sri Yuta, Padakamalam, Sri Gurun, Vaishnavamscha, Sri Rupam, Sagrajatam, Sahagana, Radhatam, Vithamstam, Sajivam, Sadvaitam, Sadvadutam, Parijana, Sahita, Krishna, Jaitanya, Devam, Sri Radha, Krishna, Padam, Sahagana, Lalita, Sri Vishakam, Vithamstha, Vanchakapa, Jivashcha, Kipasnivyevata, Patitanam, Pavanavyo, Vaishnavbevyo, Namo, Namo, Om Namo Bhagavate Vāsudevāyā. Om Namo Bhagavate Vāsudevāyā. Om Namo Bhagavate Vāsudevāyā. So it's July 13, 2022, out of Hawaii, and we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 5, Chapter 1, The Activities of Maharaj Priyavarta, Text 34, which is prose, duhi taram chor jas sanase prayas chad yas yam ashid devayani nama kavyasutah Duhitaram, the daughter, Cha, also, Urjasvatim, Urjasvati, Nama, named, Ushanyase, unto the great sage Ushana, Sukra Acharya, Prayachat, he gave, Yasyam, unto whom, Asit, there was Devayani, Devayani, Nama, named, Kavyasutta, the daughter of Sukra Acharya. So Sukra Acharya is called Kavi, (laughs) the great poet, and Krishna says among poets he is, Sukra Acharya. So Prabhupada's translation, King Priyavatra then gave his daughter, Urjashvati, in marriage to Sukra Acharya, who begot in her a daughter named Devayani. And of course, There's a fascinating story uh, later on in the Bhagavatam of Devayani and King Yayati and Sharmista, etc. Of course, it's interesting that King Priyavata would give his daughter in marriage to Sukra Acharya uh, for several reasons. King Priyavata is a Ksatriya and Sukra Acharya is a Brahmana. Uh, Generally, people marry of the same Varna. And it's also interesting that he would give his daughter, he's a great Vaishnava, that he gives his daughter to the guru, to the demons. Uh, Although, none of that, there's no explanation, but it's simply uh, interesting. All right, so text 35. Naivam vidha purusha kara uru kamastya pumsam tarangri rajasajita sad gunanam chitram vidura Vigita sakrida tita yan nama jahati bandam Sri translation My dear king a devotee who has taken shelter of the dust of the lotus feet of the lord can transcend the influence of the six material waves namely hunger thirst lamentation illusion old age and death and he can conquer the mind and five senses however this is not very wonderful for a pure devotee of the lord because even a person beyond the jurisdiction of the four castes in other words an untouchable is immediately relieved of bondage to material existence if he utters the holy name of the lord even once something that's going to be brought up in the purport but we just want to take a note here that in the sanskrit it says jita sat gunanam so jita means to be victorious sat means six uh, guna means qualities and there's two different ways of understanding this. And Srila puts both of them into the translation. So in the word-for-word, word, it's just very general, six kinds of material waves. And in the translation, he lists both, the hunger, thirst, lamentation, illusion, old age, and death. And then he also lists mind and five senses. So two different ways one could understand that. All right, let's go into Shilaprabha's purport. It's a little long. Sukadev Goswami was speaking to Maharaj Prakrit about the activities of King Priyavrata, and since the king might have had doubts about these wonderful uncommon activities, Sukadev Goswami reassured him. My dear king, he said, don't be doubtful about the wonderful activities of Priyavrata. For a devotee of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, everything is possible because the Lord is also known as Urukrama. Urukrama is a name for Lord Vamandeve, who performed the wonderful act of occupying the three worlds with three footsteps. Lord Vamandeve requested three paces of land from Maharaj Bali, and when Maharaj Bali agreed to grant them, the Lord immediately covered the entire world with two footsteps, and for his third step he placed his foot upon Bali Maharaj's head. Shri Jayadeva Goswami says, All glories to Lord Keshava, who assumed the form of a dwarf. O Lord of the universe, who take away everything inauspicious for the devotees. O wonderful Vamandev, you tricked the great demon Bali Maharaj by your steps. The water that touched the nails of your lotus feet when you pierced through the covering of the universe, purifies all living entities in the form of the river Ganges. Since the Supreme Lord is all-powerful, he can do things that seem wonderful for a common man. Similarly, a devotee who has taken shelter at the lotus feet of the Lord can also do wonderful things unimaginable to a common man by the grace of the dust of those lotus feet. So, if we just, when Prabhupada is talking about doing things that seem wonderful, so to pierce, with your nails, with your toenails, to pierce through the coverings of the universe, that's pretty amazing. I mean, to cover the universe in two steps, like one, two, and you've covered the whole universe, and then the coverings of the universe. So the first covering is of Earth, and that's ten times the diameter of the universe itself. And then the next covering is ten times of that, and the next covering ten times of that. So how are you going to, with your toenail, Pierce all those coverings and have the living water of the Ganges come through. So that's amazing. So similarly, it's possible for Priyavrata to be making these oceans in the universe with his chariot wheel and uh, competing with the sun and, and so forth. So that's the point here. Okay, going on with the purport. Prabhupada, we're going to read this last sentence again from the purport. Similarly, a devotee who has taken shelter at the lotus feet of the Lord, excuse me, can also do wonderful things unimaginable to a common man by the grace of the dust of those lotus feet. So Prabhupada's saying that the devotee's wonderfulness is due to their having Krishna's foot dust on them. And is going on, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu therefore teaches us to take shelter of the Lord's lotus feet. Ayinanda tanuja kinkaram Patitamam vishame bhamam bhujo kripaya tabapadapam kajasthita juli sadrishim vichintaya O son of Nandamaraj, I am your eternal servant. Yet somehow or other I have fallen into this ocean of birth and death. Please pick me up from this ocean of death and place me as one of the atoms at your lotus feet. Lord Chaitanya teaches us to come in touch with the dust of the Lord's lotus feet, for then there will undoubtedly be all success. Because of the material body, every living entity in material existence is always disturbed by Sad Guna, six waves, hunger, Thirst, lamentation, illusion, invalidity, and death. Furthermore, another sadguna are the mind and five-sense organs. Not to speak of a sanctified devotee, even a chandala, an outcast, who is untouchable, is immediately freed from material bondage if he utters the holy name of the Lord even once. Sometimes caste brahmanas argue that unless one changes his body, now this is the, from this part of the on is what I'm going to be focusing on in the class, today. There's so much in this purport uh, in this verse and purport that we could easily uh, speak for a month about it so I'm just going to be focusing on this part of the purport onwards. Sometimes caste brahmanas argue that unless one changes his body he cannot be accepted as a brahmana for since the present body is obtained as a result of past actions one who has in the past acted as a brahmana takes birth in a brahmana family therefore they contend without such a dominical body one cannot be accepted as a brahmana. Herein it is said, however, that even a vidura-vigata, a chandala, a fifth-class untouchable, is freed if he utters the holy name even once. Being freed means that he immediately changes his body. Sanatana so Goswami confirms this. Yata kanchinatam yati kamsyam rasa vinata Tata diksha vidanatena dvijat jayate nirnam. Hari Bhakti Vilas 2.12. When a person, even though a chandala, is initiated by a pure devotee into chanting the holy name of the Lord, his body changes as he follows the instructions of the spiritual master. Although one cannot see how his body has changed, we must accept, on the grounds of the authoritative statements of the Shastra, that he changes his body. This is to be understood without arguments. This verse clearly says, Sa jahati bandam, he gives up his material bondage. The body is a symbolic representation of material bondage according to one's karma. Although sometimes we cannot see the gross body changing, chanting the holy name of the Supreme Lord immediately changes the subtle body, and because the subtle body changes, the living entity is immediately freed from material bondage. After all, changes of the gross body are conducted by the subtle body. After the destruction of the gross body, the subtle body takes the living entity from his present gross body to another. In the subtle body, the mind is predominant, and therefore if one's mind is always absorbed in remembering the activities of the lotus feet of the Lord, he is to be understood to have already changed his present body and become purified. Therefore it is irrefutable that a Chandala or any fallen or low-born person can become a Brahmana simply by the method of bona fide initiation." Naivamvidha purusha kara urukramasyapum sam tarangri rajasajita sadgunanam chitram vidura vigata sacrid adhatita yannam adena anunasa jahati bandam. My dear King, a devotee who has taken shelter of the dust of the lotus feet of the Lord can transcend the influence of the six material waves namely hunger, thirst, lamentation, illusion, old age, and death, and he can conquer the mind in five senses. However, this is not very wonderful for a pure devotee of the Lord, because even a person beyond the jurisdiction of the four castes, in other words, an untouchable, is immediately relieved of bondage to material existence, even if he utters the holy name of the Lord even once. So I'd like us to note that in this verse itself, there's no mention of becoming a brahmana uh, at all. But Srila Prabhupada in the purport is making a point, and it's a point he, he and his guru Maharaj, Srila Bhakti Sananta Sarasvati Thakur, make repeatedly. And it's a point that's not so much uh, emphasized outside of that, but it, it started very much with Srila Bhakti Sananta Sarasvati and A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada also, that somebody who's chanting the holy name of the Lord, someone who's thinking of the Lord, someone who has taken diksha, is as good as a brahmana, or in this sense, Prabhupada is saying, can become a brahmana. I mean, the literal uh, dvidat twam uh, that Sanatana Goswami is saying in hari bhakti Valas, that means they become like a a dvija. They be they get dvija ness. <laughs> And Prabhupada's making the point in this purport that we may, he says it twice, that we may not be able to see how the body changes. So a person takes diksha, and it's not just the ceremony of diksha, but takes diksha and is chanting and is thinking of the Lord. Their body changes, although we don't perceive it. So before somebody takes up Krishna consciousness, and then after they take Diksha and they're thinking of the Lord and they're chanting the holy name of the Lord, we don't see that their hair changes color, their eye changes color, uh, their skin color changes. (laughs) We don't don't see some uh, external change in the gross body as perceivable to us. But yet Prabhupada's saying that, well, the gross body changes. Why? Because the subtle body has changed. Because the subtle body is absorbed in thoughts of Krishna and because it's the subtle body that changes the gross body, therefore the gross body has changed. Although, uh, visually, it hasn't changed. And of course, the examples uh, given many times, not here in this purport, of the hot iron rod in the fire. Of course, even then, visually there's some difference. The iron rod actually appears red hot. So we're going to look at uh, something very controversial and very, very poorly understood in in regard to this last portion of the purport. And something that being very controversial and very poorly understood has, as far as I'm able to tell from my research and the research of the other scholars on the Shastric Advisory Council, has been one of the main reasons why there is so much confusion about what does it mean to institute Varnashram among the devotees or among people in general. And that is this apparent conflation between Brahmana and Vaishnava. And as I said, particularly uh, this is done by Srila Bhakti Sananta Sarasvati and A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, that they're using the word Brahmana a practically synonymous with the word Vaishnava in many places, as is being done in today's purport, that you go from being a Chandala, you go from being outside of the Varnas, you're not even a Shudra, and you take Diksha and you become a Brahmana. And the, the difficulty is that the word Brahmana can be understood in three or perhaps four different ways. And this sort of uh, difficulty with the meaning of a word is is very common in all languages because there's many times when a word has, one word has a variety of meanings and the meaning, this particular meaning has to be understood according to the context. There are even words that have opposite meanings like the word moot, M-O-O-T in English can mean both relevant and irrelevant. And it really just depends on the context that you have it in, what meaning that it has. So we we have words like this that actually have uh, their, the word is the antonym of itself. What to speak if there's more subtle changes in in meaning in the word. So first we're going to look at uh, what do we mean by the brahmana varna? So the Brahmana varna can sometimes be understood uh, just by birth. You've taken birth in a Brahmana family, therefore you are a Brahmana. And this concept of having, you know, a designation by birth, of various types of designations by birth, of course, is prominent all over the world. You know, you take birth in Japan. Well, then you're a Jap- you're Japanese. <laughs> You know, and you're Japanese by citizenship, and then you're also Japanese if your parents are have an ethnicity that is associated with Japan. So there's a particular ethnicity, a particular genetic makeup, a particular uh, appearance of the body that is associated with those who are born in Japan, and even those who are born outside Japan to Japanese ancestry uh, are called, you know, Japanese because of their ancestry. And such is true, not even when it comes to uh, nationality. Sometimes this is true according to religion. You know, you're born into a Christian family, so you identify as Christian, or a particular type of Christian. You know, my uh, sister-in-law, who came from a Lutheran family, she ended up getting pregnant out of marriage with a Catholic boy. And neither of them were particularly religious. I mean, she wasn't really a practicing Lutheran. He wasn't really a practicing Catholic. But the families were very upset that oh, they're going to marry someone of a different religion. And my sister-in-law had to sign a paper that she would raise their children as Catholics, and and so forth. So the people are thinking, you know, you are something according to your your birth, or like I was raised in Judaism, and Judaism is very much a birth. Uh, designated religion I mean you can decide to become Jewish and go through a, a very difficult process but generally you're understood to be Jewish if your mother is Jewish and she's Jewish if her mother is Jewish and, and so forth and it's, it's a designation by birth I mean and to the point that like in Nazi Germany the, <laughs> the Nazis were, were torturing and, and exploiting and killing anybody who was Jewish by ancestry And that's a religion, you know, it's a particular uh, set of ideology, it's a particular set of behaviors, but they're identifying it according to the body. So it's not just... My point is it's not just that in the Indian caste system there's this concept that you are something just because you're you're born into that something. But uh, this concept is pretty much pervasive. You know, if you're your ancestors were Irish, then even if you're living in Zambia, you know, you're identifying as, as Irish. And you may be identified as Irish in terms of certain cultural characteristics and predispositions and and so forth and so on. You know, so we have this this concept. So there's some concept of a brahmana by birth, uh, but Krishna, of course, says, cacturvāna-māyāśrīstam, karma vibhagata." Krishna says that this varna has nothing to do with birth. Varna is guna and karma. So we can mean a brahmana like that. And what does that mean, guna and karma? It means you have a certain proclivity. You have a certain nature. And according to that nature, uh, one should act in a certain way to earn one's living. So, of course, this is a very deep topic, and we don't have time today to cover it in depth. We're just going to cover it I'm just going to skim the surface of it. But the the, principle of Varna is that everybody has a particular nature. Everyone has a particular way that they tend to act and interact with the world and particular things that give them pleasure, which don't necessarily give other people pleasure. And that one should earn one's livelihood according to that. One should earn one's livelihood according to the way that one, one acts naturally. I mean, we could think of it as there's different kinds of vehicles. You know, there's boats, there's cars, there's planes. And according to the way they're designed, they have different environments that they're suited to travel in. A boat is suited to travel in the water, an airplane is suited to travel in the air, and a car is suited to travel on a road. You know, you can pull a boat in a road, and you can pull a plane on a road. It's kind of hard to take a car in the water or in the air or a boat in the air. Uh, and that same way is is like that with our particular psychophysical nature. So we have a particular psychophysical nature that manifests itself uh, from a very young age and it it cannot be changed. Uh, or under very unusual circumstances with great endeavor. It can be changed, but generally it can't be changed. I mean, you could change a car into an airplane, but it would take a lot of money and a lot of work over a long time. Uh, But you can't just try to drive a car as an airplane. So we have this this nature, and we are supposed to contribute to society and serve the Lord and earn our livelihood with that nature. And we're not supposed to... uh, do somebody else's work, even if apparently we can do it well. You know, Even if the, the airplane can travel on the road, and even if it can travel on the road well, that's not its, its place. It's supposed to be traveling in the sky. And, so, and one is known in one's varna by whether or not one has the qualities and whether or not one is doing the work. If you have the qualities of a particular occupation, but you're, do, you're doing some other work, then you're not known in that way. Right. If you have, We had a neighbor growing up who had a medical degree and a law degree, but he was doing something else, and so he was acting in finance. And so nobody called him a lawyer or a doctor, even though he had those degrees. So if one has the nature of a kshatriya or the nature of a sudra, but they're doing somebody else's work, uh, then they really can't be properly designated. So why are there these four designations? Uh, why did Krishna take all the hundreds of thousands of possible careers and designate them into these four categories it's because each of these categories has a different way of dharma so one could just say well whatever your nature is and whatever you, you do to earn your livelihood do it for the glory of God right? whatever you do do for the glory of God Okay, fine. However, it's very hard to do something for the glory of God if you're in the wrong place. You know, if you've got a heart muscle in the lung, it's hard for that heart muscle to work for the glory of the body. The heart muscle can't function as a lung. So if you're really going to do everything for the service of the Lord, one should be in the right place. And what is the dharma for a heart muscle is not the dharma for a, a cell in the lung. It's not the Dharma for a cell in the brain. They have different Dharmas. and those Dharmas may be they contradict each other. And it's the same with the varnas. You know, somebody who's, who should be in the Vaishya Dharma, he has the Varna, he has the Dharma of making a profit. Those who are in the brahmana Varna have the Dharma of not making a profit. Those in the kshatriya Dharma have, Varna have the Dharma of running towards danger and the house is on fire, and they run into the burning building. Everybody else runs away from it. You know, somebody, some criminal shooting a gun, and the police officers run toward the shooter, and everybody else runs away from the shudra. So the the different dharmas and the different varnas are quite different, right? The shudra's focus is on the quality of their craft, on the quality of their artistry, right? Not simply on making a profit, And if you try to, if you're in the wrong place, you mess it up. If somebody with a vaisya mentality gets into the shudra business, then they turn it into a factory and they they lose the beauty of it. If someone who has a shudra mentality gets into a vaisya business, it's hard for them to make a profit. They're they're not inclined that way. And so they end up making a mess of things. And so therefore there's these designations that know what your nature is and work accordingly and then you will be happy and the society will be happy. And there's also some relationship between the modes of nature and the varnas. So a brahmana is most likely to be tripped up by sattva-gun. kshatriya and a vaisya are most likely to be tripped up by rajagun. And a vaisya and a shudra are most likely to be tripped up by tamagun. So for each person, when they're trying to dedicate their work to the Lord when they're trying to act in the consciousness that I am a soul and I am not the doer, I am not the proprietor. Everyone should be doing their work like that in Varna Dharma. Uh, the, the, the particular modes that will affect them are going to be a little different. So that's an understanding of the Brahmana Varna. Now, what does this Brahmana Varna have to do with Vaishnav Diksha? And the answer is nothing. Absolutely Nothing. So let's see if we're going to say who's qualified to take diksha, who's qualified to chant the holy name of the Lord. And we're going to look at some some quotes here. Uh, all right. And let me just... find this. Okay, room conversation from June 5th, 1974 in Geneva. Prabhupada said yes, but we do not keep him shudra. A devotee is no longer shudra. We are creating brahmanas. Just like these Europeans and Americans, they according to Manu are malechas yavanas but we are not keeping them malechas and yavanas. Just like these European and American boys, they are accepting the Vedic regulatory principles. No illicit sex, no meat eating, no intoxication, no gambling. So they are no more shudras or chandalas; they are brahmanas. But while saying his disciples are brahmanas, Srila Prabhupada didn't want or expect his disciples to necessarily earn their livelihoods by doing brahminical jobs. So if we're trying to understand the relationship between being a Vaishnava and having a varna, one can raise the question, can we call a Vaishnava shudra if their work, if their livelihood is in the category of shudra work or maybe if they're a paid employee, even in non Shudra career, maybe they're a university professor or a judge or a business owner, but they're getting a salary. So then we have a letter from Prabhupada to Gopal Krishna Das, now Maharaj, on April 25th, 1974. And if we think about the historical context of ISKCON at that time, there was preaching and sentiment against householder life, against women and against married men starting in about 1974, although it it peaked a little later. And Gopal Krishna Das was at that time a householder, working for an advertising agency. So Srila Prabhupada initiated him into the Gayatri mantras years before this particular letter in 74. He wrote, There is no question of a devotee becoming a shudra if he does certain work. No, a devotee is never a shudra. He is transcendental. Because their activity is done in transcendental loving service unto the Lord, It is all on the transcendental plane, Brahma, Bhūyaya, Kalpate. You should not quit your present job. It is good service to Krishna. Although you may be working hard, you are always working for Krishna. So do not be confused about your position and never forget Krishna in any circumstances. That's the end of the letter. So then we could say that, well, a Vaishnava is not a Brahmin either. If a Vaishnava is not a Shudra, a Vaishnava is not a Brahmin. And if we think that way, that's a hellish mentality, so here we can look at Prabhupada's lecture in on Chaitanya to Adi Lila seven 5, which he gave in March seventy four in Mayapur. He says, This are Naragi Buddhi, Vaishnave Jati Buddhi, the deity as material, Shila D, considering as metal or stone or wood, and Gurusha Nara Matihi, and Guru as ordinary human being, Vaishnavi Jati Buddhi, a Vaishnava to consider here is American Vaishnava, here is a Brahmin Vaishnava. No. Vaishnava is Vaishnava, this is absolute. So even if we say, you know, this this devotee is a Brahmana, it's not just if we say this devotee is a Shudra, but there's just no relationship between a devotee and a Brahmana. Yeah? And then uh, there's a conversation, it's a morning walk on April 20th, 1974, in Hyderabad. So Nitai says, he was on the airplane when we were coming here to Hyderabad. And he was asking what our program was. And I was telling him that, first of all, in order to relieve the confusion of society, we wanted to establish the Vedic culture with this Varnashram system. And he asked me what would be the program that we have for a man who works in the factory. Prabhupada says, he is a shudra. Nittai says, would we retrain him as a farmer? Prabhupada says, no, if he is prepared. If not, let him remain. But we can utilize that shudra also. Nittai says, He can remain in the factory, but simply we would, Prabhupada says, Yes, but he cannot do the work of a brahmana. He cannot be trained as a preacher, but he can help. Just like my legs. The legs cannot do the work of brain, but it can help me. I am walking. So leg is as important as the brain. Shimali shudra is as important as the brahmana, provided he helps the movement Krishna conscious. That is wanted. Not that artificially a shudra should be working as a brahmana. No, but everyone should be engaged in Krishna consciousness. That is required. Nittai says. So in that case, he is a Shudra, and he is doing the work of a Prabhupada. Then he is not a Shudra. One who is engaged in Krishna's service, he is neither Brahmana nor Shudra. He is devotee. He is Brahma Brahma Buya Kalpate. Apparently he looks like Shudra, just like we have got so many men from different quarters, but we do not belong to that quarter anymore. Vaishnavi Jati bhuti Therefore, anyone who takes... Oh, here is an American Vaishnava. Here is an Indian Vaishnava. That is Naraki. He is a Vaishnava. That understanding required. Mahamsa says, Just like that devotee who is making garlands for Krishna. Prabhupada says, yes. Mahamsa says, he is a devotee. He is not a shudra making garlands. Prabhupada, no. He is not an ordinary gardener. Panchajravitas says, Or that devotee who is making leaf bowls for worshipping the ganjis. Prabhupada says, any engagement... Any engagement for Krishna, he is Vaishnava. If he is under the guidance of the spiritual master and doing the business according to direction, he is Vaishnava. He is above all these. Panchu ashudra A Shudra, if he is working, he cannot take Brahmana initiation, but he can take Harinam. Is that it? Prabhupada. Just like sometimes our men, my devotee, they wash the cupboard. Does that mean he is Mettar? No. He can go to the deity room also. He is not a Mettar, a sweeper. But sometimes we do that. So devotee is above all these considerations, but because there is management, they should appear as brahmana, as shudra, as kshatriya, like that. A devotee, because he is working as a shudra, he is not a shudra. Neither he is a brahmana. He is already in the spiritual platform. But for management, we have to do that. One can do the shudra's work nicely. Let him be engaged in that way. Why should he imitate? Mahamsa, does he get second initiation? Prabhupada, everything he will get. Mahamsa, he gets. Prabhupada, yes. Second initiation means recognize. Now he has become fully competent Vaishnava. Just like the master is teaching the servant. Now you give massage in this way, this way. But that does not mean he has become servant. Panchajravita. What if the shudra, person working as Shudra says, I can do much, I can? Prabhupada. First of all, try to understand. A devotee is neither Brahmana or Shudra. He may act like a Shudra, but he is not a Shudra. He may act like a Brahmana. He is not Brahmana, he is Vaishnava. Just like the gopis. The gopis, they are village cowherd women. They are, according to social construction, they are not very high class. They do not belong to the brahmana class. But their worship method of worship has been taken the highest. They were village girls, and practically their character was also not good because at dead at night they are going to Krishna. But why they have been taken as the most topmost devotee of Krishna? Because the love was so, I mean, high class. It is the test how much one has learned to love Krishna. That is wanted. Apparently he may appear as a Brahmana, a Shudra, or Vaishya. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The only business is to see savai paro yato at uh, going to a morning walk on November 2nd, 1975. Brahmananda says, Is it possible for a woman to become a Brahmana? Prabhupada, he is. Woman is a Brahmana's wife. Then she's automatically a Brahmana. African man says, Suppose she doesn't want to get married for the rest of her life, just wants to serve the Lord. Prabhupada. So, in his spiritual position, everyone is a Brahmana. Brahmananda says, but you give Brahminical initiation to unmarried women. Prabhupada says, yes, but on spiritual point, she is a Brahmana. On the spiritual platform, there is no such distinction. So, uh, we have, again, a very understandable source of confusion here. Because we have this word Brahmana that Srila uh, Bhaktisiddhanta and Srila Prabhupada are using to refer to to people who work in the Brahmana Varna, but they're also using it to refer to Vaishnavas who can't be designated as Brahmanas. So you're saying okay, here's a Brahmana that can't be designated as a Brahmana. Here's a Brahmana, by Brahmana we mean Vaishnava, but you can't say materially they're a Brahmana. Of course, the reason that Srila Bhakti Siddhanta did this and that our Srila Prabhupada did this is because of the propaganda being made by the uh, Jati Brahmanas, by the caste Brahmanas, the born Brahmanas, that the devotees who were not born in such families, but who would receive Diksha from Sananta and Srila Prabhupada, could not do deity worship and cooking in the kitchen. They said this is reserved for born Brahmanas, and so therefore Srila Bhaktisananda and Srila Prabhupada said, no, they're Brahmanas, they're Brahmanas. At the same time, they're saying, no, they're not Brahmanas. <laughs> Uh, so, what do we mean by a Brahmana? Well, we could look at, as I said in the beginning, we could look at three definitions. Oh, there could possibly be a fourth. Uh, the first would be birth and family heritage and would have to be along with Upanayana. So, birth and family heritage plus getting the sacred thread and getting the, the Brahma Gayatri, uh, that could be considered a Brahmana, very much like, uh, you know, in that we consider somebody Irish or we consider somebody Jewish. The next we talked about already and a person's nature, means of livelihood and commensurate dharma. So does a person have the nature of, of brahminical work? Do, are they doing brahminical work? And are they doing brahminical work according to brahminical dharma? You know, so if I'm inclined to be a scientist and I'm working as a scientist but I'm not following brahminical dharma, I'm, I'm cheating as a scientist, so then I couldn't be called a Brahmana by that definition. All right. And that's generally how we're understanding the Brahmana varna among us godias. So we don't understand Brahmana varna by just birth and heritage. We understand Brahmana varna. I have the nature of a, of a Brahminical work. I'm doing Brahminical work, and I'm doing it according to Brahminical dharma. I, but the third definition of a Brahmana is a level of spirituality and freedom from the modes of nature that's used as synonymous with Vaishnava. And again, the reason that it's being used as synonymous with Vaishnava is to counteract a particular mentality of persons at a particular time. Now, all of these three definitions we'll find in our, our, our literatures so let's say we're going to talk about a Brahmana deva- defined as birth and family heritage. So in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Madhya 1, 193, it says the brothers Jagai and Madai belong to the Brahmana caste. So they were Brahmanas by birth. And it's interesting, in Bhagavatam 10.8653, it says, Brahmana jan- Janmana Shreya, and by his very birth, a Brahmana is the best of all living beings. So sometimes... Uh, we have one instance from the Chaitanya Charitamrita, one instance from the Bhagavatam of where a person could be called a Brahmana by birth. All right, a Brahmana defined as your nature, your means of livelihood and commensurate dharma. So, of course, we've already quoted Gita 4.13, Chattaranya Mayas um, Hari Bhakti Vilas also says, it talks about sukla vritti, how you have pure means of livelihood, and he talks about, for the brahmana, they can get a livelihood from charity during a yajna, from a disciple, or from a qualified person. And Prabhupada talks about a brahmana like that in C.C. Madhya uh, 11. He says, that grahasta brahmana, partaking of the Varnashram Dharma institution, can secure various types of uh, paraphernalia to worship Lord Vishnu through his honest labor. So we have brahmanas referred to like this, uh, this second definition of what's your nature, what's your work, what's your dharma. Then the third definition is what causes this confusion. And here we go to the verse that Śrīla Prabhupāda quoted in today's purport from Hari Bhakti Vālasa 2.12. Yitā (inaudible) Kanchana tamyati Kamsyam rasa binānataha tata diksha vidhāreina jvija ton jayate which literally means as bell metal, when mixed with mercury is transformed to gold, a person, even though not golden pure, can be transformed into a brahmana or dwija simply by the initiation process. Hmm. And it's interesting, property in his purport to Bhagavatam 3164, says the formula is Janantiti Brahmana. A Brahmana is one who has understood Brahman, and a Vaishnava is one who's understood the personality of Godhead. Brahman realization is the beginning of realization of the personality of Godhead. One who understands the personality of Godhead also knows the impersonal feature of the Supreme, which is Brahman. Therefore, one who becomes a Vaishnava is already a Brahmana. So, again, that doesn't mean a Brahmana livelihood. Now let's think of this in reference to before Diksha and after Diksha. So before Diksha, we don't require that a person has a Brahmana livelihood in order to get Vaishnava Diksha. We don't require that a person is a Brahmana in terms of being born in a Brahmana family and by culture, and nor do we require that a person be a Brahmana by guna and karma and dharma. I mean, Srila Prabhupada gave Diksha to uh, Jayananda, who was engaged in a sudra varna, and Prabhupada gave uh, Gayatri Diksha to Gopal Krishna, who was engaged in a sudra or possibly Vaishya uh, occupation. Uh, Srila Prabhupada gave Gayatri Diksha regardless of one's guna and karma. He just he considered it irrelevant. So if someone says, well, you have to have the proper guna and karma in order to take Diksha, uh, that's not correct. I mean, we might ask why, in the past, was there some consideration that only a persons in the higher caste could get diksha? And you know, there are statements in the shastra that support that kind of mentality and that kind of behavior. Uh, well, first of all, as we've just quoted from the Bhagavatam and the Tenth uh, Kanto, Chapter 89. That having a good birth does give you a predisposition. It does give you a particular culture. I mean, it, that that's a fact. <laughs> you know, somebody that takes birth in a, you know from a family of criminals and drug addicts, and or somebody that has some like really traumatic childhood. You know, it's it's more difficult to follow the Vaishnava principles. Also, that the Vedas are very difficult to understand. Unless someone is a higher class person, uh, they they may really struggle to understand them. And perhaps the biggest reason is that there's a possibility to misuse the knowledge. So Diksha into the Vaishnava mantras gives one understanding beyond that of people in the modes of nature. Bhaktivya Yanmaras likes to talk about this, how we really get a psychological sharpness by chanting Hare Krishna, chanting our, our Gayatri mantras, in, taking prasadam, engaging in the process of Krishna consciousness. I mean, we're really able to understand other people's mentality and motives quite well, much more so than ordinary people. And we have the story of, of ekalavya who was an unqualified person who tried to kind of steal Diksha from Dronacharya, and Dronacharya then uh, asked him for a dakshin of his thumb so that he couldn't use this knowledge he had stolen. So unqualified people shouldn't have access to higher knowledge. I mean, this is, uh, they can cause trouble with it. We can think of Asvatthama, who had the knowledge of the Brahmastra. And therefore, uh, Vaishnava diksha was generally given, and, and the various forms of diksha were generally given to higher class people so that they would use it properly. All right, And then, of course, there's cleanliness. So ritual cleanliness is something that's difficult for people in certain occupations to have. You know, if you're a plumber, how are you going to be ritually clean? If you're a, a, a mother of a very of very young children, how are you going to be ritually clean? And so, you know, there, there's some reasons why there are parts of the Shastra and parts of tradition that say, hey, you know, a person has got to be of a higher class before they can get initiated. But if we want to look at that initiation is not just something material, it's not mundane, it's something on a transcendental level and therefore the qualifications for taking Diksha have nothing to do with one's body, one's nature, one's occupation I mean I, obviously if you're a mafia boss and your occupation is selling heroin and running a prostitution ring, that's another thing, but other than directly contributing to to the four uh principles of Kali Yuga, these things are irrelevant. What's relevant to taking Diksha is having devotion, having faith. Rupa Goswami, in discussing the qualifications for taking a Vaidhi, Sadhana, Bhakti, says the qualifications are your degree of faith in the Shastra. How much you're you're honest, how much you're dedicated, how much you're following the regulated principles is given by Srila Rupa Goswami. Uh, it's also said how sincerely eager you are to chant the mantra. That if you're really eager to chant the Hare Krishna mantra, if you're really eager to chant the Gayatri mantras, that's a qualification. Uh, if you've studied under a spiritual master. Prabhupada was also saying, quoting from Shastra, that just like he did in today's verse, that if you just once chant the holy name, that qualifies you to take Vaishnava Diksha. Vaishnava Diksha specifically is with the Sampradaya mantras. And after, so that's the qualification for taking Vaishnava Diksha. And after taking Vaishnava Diksha, you don't become a Brahmana by Varna. It's not that if you take Vaishnava Diksha and you're chanting the Brahma Gayatri, that all of a sudden you're going to change from being a carpenter to a college professor. That That's not a fact. Now, Vaishnava, as, as we were hearing from Prabhupada, Uh, is not a brahmana or a shudra. But externally, the work you do is going to be according to your particular nature. You know, if you use a boat in Krishna's service, it's still going to act like a boat. If you use a plane in Krishna's service, it's still going to act like a plane. But one is not a brahmana or a shudra in a material sense. The body has changed in diksha. So the qualifications for diksha are an eagerness for bhakti, faith in bhakti, Dedication to bhakti. And the result of Vaishnava Diksha is that one becomes a Vaishnava, which for the sake of arguing with caste-conscious brahmanas, we can say, oh, they become a brahmana. But that's not what we mean. We don't mean they become a brahmana by birth. We don't mean they become a brahmana by occupation. After taking Diksha, you can still be a plumber. After taking Diksha, you can still be a police officer. Right? Right? I mean the understanding what a Brahman means in terms of birth and family heritage, and the Brahmana defined as a person who engages his nature as a means of livelihood by partaking in Varnashram Dharma. Both of those are related to traditional Varna definitions. But the Brahmana defined in terms of levels and spirit of spirituality, that's a superior pure spiritual nature. Because of being situated in transcendence, such a brahmana who's in bhakti has developed the superior qualities of Vaishnava. You know, our our Diksha gurus in, in ISKCON and in the Gaudiya Sampradaya, they're not some kind of traditional Kula gurus who are initiating people into an occupational designation or a social designation. Even a social designation used in devotional service. Our Vaishnava gurus are Vaishnavas who are initiating people into a transcendent, super-mundane, reality. So it's very important to understand this because otherwise, I mean I just had a, a, a leader in ISKCON write me with the same question that was asked with Srila Prabhupada in one of the conversations we quoted well if we were going to have a Varnashram community that would mean that everybody would just get Harinam initiation and only those acting as preachers and, and Pujaris would get Gayatri initiation and I said no that's it, there is not a conflation between a brahmana in terms of birth or a brahmana in terms of varna and vaishnava diksha vaishnava diksha makes you a vaishnava so this is uh, it's complex uh, we really haven't gone uh, deeply 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 into the topic uh, we do have a little bit of time for questions and discussions
1: okay
2: just a moment what is He's got his hands up, and I just want to rush in there and ask you a question, if I could. Um, I personally have a soft, sentimental uh, uh, liking for Ekelabia. I always have. I just thought he was so mistreated. So if Ekelabia was unqualified, he might have misused the knowledge because he tried to steal Diksha. Well, then why did Drona teach Dakaravas beginning with Duryodhana? It's certainly if Duryodhana is qualified as a Kshatriya, then why not? The oh,
0: well, that's a good question. Why did he teach Dronacharya? I mean, at least Dronacharya had a good chance. I mean, Duryodhana had a had a, had a good chance of using things nicely. Whereas he saw of having no no chance at all. I mean, also the fact that he stole Diksha, that he took that knowledge without properly asking, without properly taking permission. You know, Dronacharya took it back from him. But the concept was that low-class people, lower-class people should not be given higher knowledge. I mean, another reason why low-class people weren't given higher knowledge, and please think about this very carefully, is you always want... Uh, the higher class persons to have some power that the lower class people don't possess. I mean, it's something like you want the, the police and the military to have weapons that the citizens don't have. You know, one of the problems we have in America is that the citizens have weapons equal to the police officers and the military. But that really isn't a very good idea. Because you want the police officers or the military to be able to subdue evildoers. And if they all have the same weapons, that's not going to be possible. The brahmanas had access to subtle powers that the kshatriyas didn't have. I mean, this was evident in the fighting between Vasista and Vishramita; That Vasista had subtle weapons that Vishramita didn't have. That's why Vishramita wanted to become a brahmana. And therefore, if the ksatrias got out of line, the Brahmanas could correct them, like we have with with King Vena. And the ksatrias had power and weapons that the Vaishas didn't have. And therefore, if the Vaishas got out of line, they could correct them with their superior power. And the Vaishas had power that the Shudras didn't have. And therefore, they could correct them. Now, of course, if people become corrupt, everything's a mess. So if the Brahmanas use their powers or the saptas or the vaishas use their and the shudras also have a kind of power. The shudras have a power of numbers uh, because they're in the greater they're in the greater number. So shudras actually also have a kind of check and balance over society. But in any case, if if there's if people are corrupt, of course the whole thing doesn't make any sense. But the idea is that if people who are of a higher level have higher power. Then they can keep the peace and stability in society. And if those higher powers are given to those of a of a lower mentality, you really have a problem. It's like you know, Hiranyakashipu getting these powers. And therefore, Lord Brahma was told, you know, you really shouldn't be giving out these these powers to demons. They don't they don't deal with them nicely. They just cause a problem.
2: But the thing is, okay, those are all very good examples, but still, uh, if uh, Karna proved himself, even though he was superficially not a Kshatriya, but he proved himself, he had all the qualities of a Kshatriya. Did not a have the qualities of a Kshatriya?
0: Obviously not, according to Janacharya's estimation. So Janacharya's estimation was, no, he did not. And therefore, if he was given the powers of a Kshatriya, he was going to misuse them. You have to remember that it's not just... A, a proclivity to do something—it's—it's it's a proclivity also toward the dharma. Each of the varnas has their own dharma, and which is glorious in, in its place, but is—is is a real problem out of its place. I mean, even the dharma of a brahmana, which is forgiveness—you don't want a brahmana running a country. It's going to be a mess. The brahmana is going to be forgiving all these criminals. And it's 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 really gonna be a mess. The Brahmana is also gonna take far too long to make decisions. The ksatria has to make decisions quickly. The Brahmana wants to do a year's worth of research. So it's it, you know, it 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 goes in both directions. You don't want a brahmana running a business, they, they won't make any profit. Even a ksatria running a business isn't gonna make a profit. The the distribute wealth. So, uh, you know, to take something and put it in the wrong place, it it doesn't work properly. And Dronacharya himself, being a highly astute person, he can see this person doesn't have the right dharma. He'll use, instead of using weaponry and political skills to protect and to serve and take care of people, he's going to use them to exploit people. Now, it's interesting with Duryodhana, In one sense, Duryodhana, when he was effectively ruling, while you know his father wasn't really ruling and the Pandavas were out in exile, uh, Prabhupada explains he was very charitable and he did take good care of the citizens. The real problem with Duryodhana is that he was opposed to Krishna, that he was opposed to God. But you know, on a material level, he did take good care of the citizens. It's just that he was leading them away from the highest dharma, and therefore Krishna didn't want him in, in charge. But as a as far as being ksatriya, he was exatria, and so was Karna.
1: I a question. Yes. I, if, um, I, I think sometimes about how uh, there's a predominant of the mode of goodness. Sometimes they say that goodness. Uh, that uh, Brahman is predominated by goodness. And then I was thinking of the initiation process because it mentioned, you know, the education of the subtle body. Generally, everybody does, their bodies move according to their mind. But for a devotee who's accepted a spiritual master, he moves according to the order of a spiritual master, which yes. is transcendental. Yes. I think I could refer to that as penance you know that uh he's restricted the pen part of it is that he's restricted uh his activities according to the pleasure of the spiritual master Bhagavad bishada Bishad. so uh, it, it seems like uh that was what the, the bell metal example that the alchemy uh process hmm. of turning uh and, and, of course, the Goswami's of Tango a disappearance day-to-day, so I was thinking of that, but it, it seems like that's how the, uh, the, the, uh, the machine is the same, but the driver's intel- intelligence has been changed by the orders of the spiritual master. And it just takes time for the external body to catch up.
0: Well, I, w- I would say the that. external body is, is transformed immediately in the sense that the the activities of the body are no longer generating karma and are no longer uh, yeah, when you come in touch with a devotee even, you know, somebody who's not fully mature in devotional service, the effect of that is going to be spiritual and, I, you know, what you were saying about the relationship of sattvagun to, or the relationship of the modes in general to the varnas in one sense one can say that the modes are causative of the Varnas, that someone who's inclined to guna that causes them to be in the Brahmana Varna, one who's inclined to Rajagun, etc. One can also say that the gunas are the uh, difficulty for each varna. That let's say that you're trying to be a ksatriya for Krishna, the highest level of the ksatriya Dharma, what's likely to trip you up is the Rajagun form of ego. You're probably not going to be tripped up by sattva or by tamagun, but you, you may be tripped up by rajagun. It's what you have to be careful of. So it's, it's also like, you know, what's your Achilles heel in each of these? But I really like what you're saying, that the subtle body is no longer being uh, influenced by even sattva-gun, which is, you know, I am very balanced, and I am very kind, and I am very merciful. But it's being the subtle body is being directed by guru. The subtle body is being directed by God, and as Prabhupada says in today's purport, you're always thinking of Krishna, and therefore, yeah, the, the physical body is different. I mean, it's uh, this is true even uh, on the level that if a person is practicing sattvagun, their physical body will be healthier, just by their practicing forgiveness and gratitude and things like that. You know, it affects the, I, I of the body.
1: Grouped it with when Prabhupada would use that statement a lot we're not the body that um, well generally if before initiation that's all that your your subtle body and your gross body were kind of connected for uh, made an alliance for sense gratification and the senses agitated the mind the mind got the intelligence the body moves you have your samsara but once you not the body, then what? What do you rely on for your intelligence? Mm. You, you, it's not going to come from your senses. It's, it's going to come from the spiritual master. So your whole—I um, I sometimes think about that. How we're not this body. It, it really groups a lot of understandings with you know with karma, the senses, controlling your senses, and, and actually that—that that reminds me of a question it, uh, that I had. How much does uh, um, the the body and the mind of the conditioned soul have to do with the actual identity of the uh, the living entity in his uh, eternal condition
0: nothing nothing at all
1: so when you factor that in the whole idea of the bodily conception of life really doesn't um, doesn't work in in transcendence so you have to, to depend on the spiritual master and then he his, his pleasure in how you're performing your service with the right mentality. That reveals all of your other aspects of actually who you are. You know, so there, there's that aspect also takes place in uh, after initiation, coming free from...
0: That's very beautifully put. Thank you so much for that. That was just wonderful. Thank you. And I think we need to end now. Thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada, Ki Jai.